Good morning. Merry Christmas. As we read that text, I can't help but remember the Christmas that I learned how much names matter. One Christmas, I opened up a present from my aunt who had taken the time to make a homemade Christmas sweater for me and decided that I needed my name on the Christmas sweater. It was written vertically. I just tell you that to, remember, to share with you how much I remember this sweater. This Christmas sweater with my name on it had one key detail. My aunt, my family member, spelt my name wrong. <laughs> Friends, let me tell you, my name is Jeremiah, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H, like the Jeremiah in the Bible, not J-E-R-I, not J-E-R, not J-E-R-A, it is J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H. If my aunt don't know, you know. It's a lesson I learned in journalism. When you're writing an article, the rule, the first rule is you get everyone's name right. You show them respect and honor as a human being by taking the time to, to spell their name correctly. Names matter. Names mean something. I think about my four children. All four of them have a middle name that means something significant to my family. My firstborn is named after the first street my wife and I lived on as a married couple. My secondborn, my firstborn son, is the fifth generation to have the same middle name, at least fifth generation. My wife and I found out we were pregnant with our third child when we were in Nepal. The skies had been gray the entire time, and the morning we found out we were having a child, the skies cleared, and we saw a specific mountain range that just grabbed our attention, and our third child took the name of that mountain range. And our fourthborn, Lord willing, our lastborn, shares the name of the mentor of my wife and I in ministry, a, a Paul, if you will, to my Timothy. We wanted to honor them and all they had done for our family by giving our son their name as his middle name. Names matter. But as I have shared with our, our church family at First Baptist Carl Junction, God's name matters more than our name. And if everything I just said is true about your name and my name, it is that much more true about God's name, that much more true about Jesus's name. The Dutch theologian Gerhardus Voss wrote, in the revelation of God, the name is never a meaningless sound, but the expression of a reality. Therefore, the names of the mediator, Jesus, 
have something to tell us about his significance. One of the things that Voss understood is that in God's sovereign plan, God has decided how he should be known, how he should be referred to, how he should be remembered. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the prophet told us something about God's significance when he prophesied that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, as we have lit the peace candle this morning and sung about the peace that we have in Christ, I want to show you three names and titles that come up in this passage that point to us the gospel of peace, the names of our King, the names of Jesus, brothers and sisters, are meant to show you how you and I can have peace. Do you have that peace this morning? Do you enter this morning knowing that you are right with God? Do you know that even if everything in this world is broken and wrong, that you are right with your creator? Friend, you can have that peace today. Let's look at these three names or titles that can bring true peace. The first shows us who accomplishes our salvation. The second shows us how he accomplishes our salvation. And the third one shows us what he accomplishes in our salvation. The first name in this passage is the Christ. Look at verses 18 to 20 one more time with me. Matthew writes, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here we see who accomplishes our salvation. In verse 18, Matthew tells us this is the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ is more of a title than a name. And you'll notice Joseph and Mary do not hear this name. They're not told the birth of Christ happened this way. You and I are. We get information that they do not. And Matthew is connecting this passage to the passage before it. In verses 1 to 17, we see the genealogy of the Christ. Matthew moves from Abraham, who was given a promise that every nation would be blessed through his family, to David, who was promised a son who would reign as king forever, to the time of exile in Babylon, where it looks like all of God's promises are lost, ultimately to the Christ, which is the Greek word for the Messiah, which is the Jewish word for God's anointed chosen king. In the first century of, in Israel, people expected the Messiah. People expected God's appointed chosen king to come, but they expected a Daniel 7 kind of Christ, 
a son of man who would come with clouds, a son of man who would come with dominion, a Christ where every person would serve him. What they did not expect was an Isaiah 53 kind of Christ who would come in the form of a servant, who would be despised, who would not be recognized, but would come not with power, but with humility. And this Christ would not only defy national expectations, he would squash natural expectations. Twice in verses 18 and 20, Matthew tells us that this baby is from the Holy Spirit. That phrase is significant. It separates this miraculous birth from every other miraculous birth we have heard about this month. Samson was stirred by the Spirit. Last week, John was filled with the Spirit, but only Jesus Christ comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know, you know. But we're in a mixed crowd this morning, so I'm going to talk in puzzles, right? But in the natural world, one plus one equals another one. Some of y'all are going to get that in a minute. Mary has never done that kind of math before. But Joseph doesn't know that. He only knows that he's never done that math before. And so the text tells us that Joseph does a just thing. See, Joseph could have taken Mary to Jerry Springer. Joseph could have taken Mary to Mari or Dr. Phil. And if y'all don't know what that is, Joseph could have taken her to Twitter and exposed her to everybody and shown the world what kind of woman Mary was. But Joseph decides to break things off quietly. He doesn't take her to a talk show. He's just going to let her go. And so God intervenes and sends an angel to stop Joseph. And the angel tells Joseph, this child is from the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the virgin birth, which really should be called the doctrine of the virgin conception, in the Bible is never about how God did that. It's never about why God did that, though we like to talk about that a lot. In the Bible, it's always about who did that. Friends, the virgin birth tells us Joseph didn't do this. Another man did not do this. God did this. The Swiss reformer Heinrich Bollinger wrote that Jesus was formed in the womb of a virgin by virtue of a deity without a work of a human. That's the point. When it came to the climax of what God was going to do in the world, no human being was going to be involved. The virgin birth is a reminder of mankind's inability, of our inability to do anything good on our own. The virgin birth is a declaration from God that all of this is from 
him. Listen to how all of this was promised. See if you catch the emphasis. In Isaiah chapter 41, God says, When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with water, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them, that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 15, God says, For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules rules. Notice, brothers and sisters, when God is at his most generous, God keeps his hands closed at the same time, because when God shares his son, he will not share the credit. So how does that truth bring peace? Can I give you some good news? Friends, when it comes to salvation, When it comes to being right with God, the pressure's off. It's not up to you. God is not looking at you, waiting, seeing if you can somehow muster up enough good to accomplish peace with him. He's not trying to see if you can be holy enough, righteous enough, good enough to become a child of God. He is the one who accomplishes salvation. He is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, we see that in our spiritual salvation, we don't do that math either. Paul says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Christ brings us peace as we see that God is the one who accomplishes our salvation. There's another name in this passage that brings us peace. The angel tells Joseph, name him Jesus. Look at verse 21. The angel says, she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Here in this name, we see how God accomplishes our salvation. When Joseph gets a dream, he's not dreaming about sugar plums dancing in his head. He's not dreaming about what Christmas present he's going to open up the next morning. When Joseph dreams, he comes face to face with an angel of the Lord. Now, the angel visits both of Jesus' earthly parents. When the angel visits Mary in the book of Luke, he tells Mary, name him Jesus. But he tells Joseph why. He gets a bit of information that she does not. 
Now, the name itself, I want to do a little bit of unpacking. The name itself is not Jesus. The name Jesus is an English translation of a Greek translation of an Aramaic name. The name that the angel tells Joseph and Mary to name their child is Yeshua, which literally is Joshua. And in the first century, this would remind first century Jews like Mary and Joseph of at least two important men in the history of the Jews named Yeshua. The first man named Joshua famously followed Moses as leader of Israel and led his people into the promised land to have victory over all the enemies of God. The second important Yeshua that you may or may not know about comes from Zechariah chapter 6, where a high priest named Joshua is also given the title, The Branch. And this Joshua would build God's temple and become a royal priest on the throne. So with 1,500 years of hope and meaning, the angel tells Joseph that it's time for the real Yeshua to stand up. It's time for the real Joshua to enter the world. Now remember how we started. Gerhardus Voss says that the name is the expression of a reality. When God chose Yeshua to be his son's name, he wasn't just pulling a name out of the bag. This had significance. And friends, we lose some of that significance, I think, when we don't remember his name, Yeshua. The reality behind the name Joshua, brothers and sisters, is Yahweh saves. That's what his name means. His name means the great God, Yahweh, the Lord God of all things. He is the one who saves. He is the one who saves. Now, the question is, saves from what? We all have some ideas. Does it mean that God saves us? He liberates us from our political opponents? Does it mean that he rescues us from all emotional pain and trauma? Does it mean that he delivers us and heals us from every physical ailment and disease? There's more than a grain of truth in each of these statements. But friends, none of them define the ultimate why. Listen again to what the angel says. The angel tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, why did God send Jesus on the first Christmas? God sent Jesus because you needed to be rescued from your disobedience and rebellion against God. God sent Jesus to save you because you needed to be saved from yourself. You and I, in our choice to go another way outside of the word of God, demanded that we needed to be rescued from our sin. Now, you might think, I'm not that bad. I don't need to be saved from myself. I've got other problems. 
I'm not my worst own enemy. You don't know what kind of stuff I'm going through. But brothers and sisters, Jesus came to save us from our sins. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, whoever keeps all of God's law but fails in one single point has become guilty of it all. So let me ask, is there any way, is there any chance in your life that you've ever messed up one single time? If I listed all of the commands of God, would you have to raise your hand and say, I broke at least one? Based on the authority of the word of God, brothers and sisters, that means you need a savior. That means you need to be rescued from that sin because the Bible tells us the paycheck for that sin is death. And not only that, You're not alone. Romans chapter 3 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have failed in at least one. And through our sin, death entered into the world. That's where death comes from. It's not just some mysterious force that ends our life. Death was the punishment that God put on all of humanity because of our sin and our rebellion. And along with death, everything else that we want saving from came too. That political oppression, the physical pain, the emotional trauma that I mentioned, all of that stems from the entrance of sin and death into this world. Sin messes everything up. It infects everything and we are and do. It infects our thoughts. It infects our words. It infects our attitudes. It infects our choices. Listen to who we are on our own, apart from a Savior, based on Scripture. On our own, we are not friends with God. We are not children of God. We are hostile to God. We cannot even please God if we tried, Romans 8 tells us. The Bible says that we are not sick. We are dead in our sin. We are not lovely children. We are children of wrath. On our own, brothers and sisters, we are separated from the Christ and we have no hope in this world or the one to come. But while we were sinners, God sent Yeshua into the wilderness to take his people out and bring us into the promised land of life with God. God sent his high priest to come and rebuild his temple in three days because his son, Jesus, died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took all of your sin and disobedience and rebellion and put it on himself. He wore your name on that cross. He wore your sins on that tree. And God took all the just wrath that was deserved by you and me, and he destroyed it on Jesus Christ. And three days later, God brought his son back up out of that grave and made him alive to create a new kingdom and a new family so that you wouldn't have your name anymore, but you would have the name Jesus written on your soul. And the good news, friends, is that you can have peace with God if you believe that. If you turn from your own name and put your trust in Jesus and what he did for you, you can be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Now let me ask you, does that have your full acceptance? 
Is that what your whole life is based on? If you were, die, if you were to die today, that verse would be your hope. That Jesus came to die for messed up, broken people just like you. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friend, let me tell you, it doesn't matter how messed up you are. Test Jesus on that. Come to him with all your baggage, with all your need, and ask him to give you that peace with God. Maybe somebody in here is thinking that your list of sins is just too high and just too dirty. What is his name? His name means your list is not too big. Can you stop him from being Jesus? Do you think you've somehow unlocked the sin that is just too big to stop him from being Yeshua? Let his name bring you some peace. The third name that we find for our God in this passage is Emmanuel. Look at verses 22 and 23. The text says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. How many Christmases and holidays get messed up because family members at the table start arguing about stuff that's stupid? That ever happened at your house and all of a sudden next Christmas can't happen because Uncle Joe and Cousin Ronnie were arguing over the football game? It's pretty sad. Somehow we not only do that with holidays, we do that with Scripture too. Theologians debate who is talking in these verses. And they spend tons of paper and ink on the question, is this the angel talking to Joseph or is it Matthew talking to us? And guess what? It don't matter. Either way, it's true. Either way, the miraculous birth of Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. Either way, God proves that his word is faithful. When Isaiah predicts the coming of Emmanuel, he is telling us what he will accomplish in our salvation. When Adam sinned, he was separated from God. He was kicked out of the garden. Fellowship with God was removed. And when Christ saves us, he opens the door back to the garden. He restores the opportunity for us to be friends with God, to have that relationship with him. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What did God accomplish in our salvation? God made peace with us. Friends, if you are in need of peace, let me give you one more thing to consider. If the virgin birth tells us that God has done what no one else can do, and no man's going to get to share in that, 
Because it is God's work, no one can undo it. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. No one can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who or what can stop Jesus from being Emmanuel? Anybody want to raise their hand on that? If Jesus has made peace with you, you nor anyone else can take that peace away. It is forever binding as the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection is forever binding for you and me. Matthew Henry writes, Behold, in this the deepest mystery and the richest mercy that ever was. By the light of nature, we see God as God above us. But by the law, we see a God against us. But by the gospel, we see Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let me ask you, how can we take this truth that many of us know in our head? How can we take this promise that many of us have experienced in our hearts and put it into practice with our hands and feet? How can you show, how can you live an active faith that shows you believe in Emmanuel? I want to give two opportunities to you to let this name mean something for your family this Christmas. I want to give you two ways that you can show a watching world what Emmanuel looks like. First, brothers and sisters, when you leave here today, prioritize the plural. His name is God with us. American who loves your independence, who loves individuality, listen, his name is not God with me. His name is not God with I. His name is God with us. It's interesting, when Matthew translates Isaiah 9, he makes one change. Isaiah says, you will call his name in the singular form. But when Matthew writes it, he changes that singular you and makes it they, the plural form. They will call his name Emmanuel. When we studied his second name, Jesus, the angel tells us he will save his people, also plural. Prioritize the plural. Friends, listen, you and I cannot live the Christian life alone. And just like it wouldn't be really fun or right to celebrate Christmas alone, we can't celebrate any of the Christian life alone. How else can we love one another? How can you forgive one another if you're doing it all yourself? Friends, how can we sing to one another, teach one another, serve one another, live in harmony and make peace with one another? 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Our world is so broken right now by this entire us versus them mentality. What if the God with us looked like us with us? Can you imagine? How much different would your life look if every part of your life didn't start with I or my or me, but it was changed to we? 
if it changed to us? What's one thing you can do this week to go from I to Emmanuel? To go from me to us? As God has made peace with you, brother and sister in Christ, listen to Romans 14, verse 19. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Second way I, I want to encourage you to take this name, Emmanuel, and put some hands and feet on it is this. Extend the opportunity of us to the lost. Don't hold on to it. Pass it on. Matthew starts in chapter 1 and ends in chapter 28 with the promise of Emmanuel. Listen to the very last words of this gospel. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, Emmanuel, until I come back. Now you all remember the context of that promise, right? Jesus says that as he sends us out on mission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Friends, as we believe God is with us, let us take our steps out and go invite others. Consider how you're living right now. If, if we were to look, does it look like the way you're living, all the seats on the us bus are taken. That there's no room left for your neighbor. The reservations are full. Or if we looked at your life, we could see that you really believe Jesus when he says, I have other sheep and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. If we were to look at the way you're living, the way you're doing church, are we satisfied? Or do we believe that our community needs the hope of Emmanuel too? Do we believe the words of Isaiah when he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Are your feet beautiful? Friends, the promised Christ came to save sinners the promised Christ came to bring people to God. The angels declare glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friend, if we have that peace, let us go with confidence in that gospel, not worried about whether or not we'll be rejected or accepted because we know we have been accepted by God himself through his son Christ saved us from our sin, and brought us to himself, Emmanuel. With that hope and that joy and that peace, let us go, brothers and sisters, this Christmas season and proclaim the gospel of peace. Let us pray.